Turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 13. Scripture reading this morning is again going to be 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 7. If you're using one of the Blue Pew Bibles, you will find 1 Corinthians 4 through 7, or 13, 4 through 7 on page 960. As we read together again this, this grand description of Christian love. Read with me, beginning at verse 4. Listen to this. This is the very Word of God. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. That is the reading of God's Word. Let us pray and ask for His blessing upon the reading and the preaching of His Word here this morning. Father God, You have promised that Your Word will not return void. And so that is what we ask for this morning, that You would attend by Your Spirit the reading and the preaching of Your Word, and that You would make it effectual for our salvation for our blessing, that by it we might be built up in the faith, that we might be rooted and grounded in Christ, that we might bring forth the fruits of righteousness in abundance, and that we might go forth from here fully equipped for every work of righteousness that You have called us to do. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. These are some of the most familiar verses in all of the New Testament. People who have never been in church, people who have never attended a small group Bible study, nevertheless have heard these verses read, whether they they heard them at, at a wedding or whether they read them on a greeting card. They are familiar with this description of Christian love. But as you know, familiarity does not always mean understanding, and it's important for us to understand why Paul wrote these words. Why does Paul put place this description of Christian love here at this point in 1 Corinthians? If you're all familiar with the book, you know that 1 Corinthians is not a greeting card. In fact, it is maybe the least book like a greeting card in all of the New Testament as Paul addresses not only the the sins that are going on in Corinth, but the, the questions that were dividing them. They were at odds with one another. There were factions forming. And, and as they uh, fought with one another, they decided that they would send a letter to the Apostle Paul. And here we have his response. And in this section of the letter, verses 12 through 14, Paul is dealing with a, a specific question related to spiritual gifts. The Corinthians had a question. They, they wanted to know whether tongues was the preeminent display of, of the Spirit's power, whether it was a necessary display of his manifestation in the life of a believer. And so Paul is, is teaching them how they should think about spiritual gifts. And at the end of chapter 12, he tells them that it is right to desire the gifts. It is right to desire even the higher gifts. In fact, more than that, he actually commands them to do it. He says, earnestly desire those higher gifts. But no sooner has he told them that it is right and proper and even obligatory to desire higher gifts than he says, but there is a better way. There is a still more excellent way. 
Gifts will allow you to use your life to the glory of God. They will allow you to do things that that magnify His name. They will allow you to do things that serve the good of His people. But there is something even better. There is an even better manifestation, a more excellent manifestation of the Spirit in the life of a believer, and that is Christian love. You see, gifts may or may not be used with with love, and therefore they may or may not profit. They may or may not be of of any value. They they may or may not serve the glory of the King. They may or may not serve the good of his, His people. But when gifts are used with love... They are for the good of of all. And so it is love that is foundational. It is love that is essential. Love is the most excellent manifestation of the Spirit's presence in the life of a believer. Gifts may vary from believer to believer, but what ought to be consistent across the board, what ought to be true of, of every believer, is that they walk in Christian Love, Because it is through love that our lives most exalt the glory of Christ's name. It is through Christian love that we do the most good for our brothers and sisters in Christ and the most good for our neighbors who are outside the church. Gifts allow you to do certain things, but it is love that is essential. And therefore, if you would use your life to the glory of your King, if you would give your life for the good of your neighbor, then you must learn to walk in Christian love. You you must strive to bring your life into conformity with this portrait of what it means to be a loving Christian. Because it's only as our life embodies these words that we serve the glory of our King and the good of our neighbor. That's why we're taking the time to to go through this description phrase by phrase. It's it's not just so that we can know what love looks like. It's not just so that we can be impressed with the portrait and and, and sort of have that warm feeling that that comes from from seeing its, its beauty, but rather it's that we might begin to do these things. It's that we might examine ourselves and see where our lives are out of accord and then go to work to put to death that which is earthly and to put on more and more that which is in accord with Christian love. That's what we are doing. We are are seeking to bring our lives into accord. Not so that we might earn our salvation. We don't have to do that. We've sung about it even this morning, uh, time and again, that that our salvation is bought and paid for. It It was paid for by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. It is ready to be revealed. We do not have to earn God's salvation, nor do we have to earn His blessing. In Christ, we are already possessors of every spiritual blessing. In Christ, we are already inheritors of all the treasures of the kingdom. We do not have to earn our salvation. We do not have to earn God's blessing, but rather we have to work out the salvation that is ours. We have to put on the blessings that are at our disposal. And so it is as we receive Jesus Christ as Lord that we walk in Him. And this is what it looks like to walk in Him. This is what life that acknowledges Jesus Christ as King. This is what it looks like. Love is patient and kind, as we saw last week. And I hope this week, as you reflected on those verses, you you began to examine yourself and say, where where do I lack patience? Where am I impatient? Where am I not willing to to suffer for the good of another? And where am I not kind? Where is, is kindness missing? Where am I unconcerned for the good of my neighbor? 
So we thought about what it means for love to be patient and kind. This morning we turn just to the next phrase in that portrait. Love does not envy. So this morning I want to ask the same sort of questions that we asked last week about patience and kindness. I want to ask, well, first of all, what is envy? What is the nature of envy? What does it mean to to envy? Then I want to, to illustrate that with a few examples, some from Scripture themselves, but then also from our own lives. And I want to challenge us to think about where envy is in our own hearts and where it shows up in our own lives. And briefly, I want us to think about why such envy is contrary to Christian love. What is the sin of, of envy? And finally, I want us to consider how it is that we can go to war with it. How can we begin to put it off, and how can we begin to put it to death? So let's start just with the nature of envy. What is envy? Now, as I noticed as I looked at different resources this week, that in, in, in English, we, we give a very precise definition. The word that Paul uses is a, is a little bit more flexible. You know, we have precise definitions for jealousy or for envy or for, for coveting. But the word that Paul uses really just connotes a strong desire. And he actually uses it positively sometimes. In fact, it's the same word that Paul used in, in chapter 12, verse 31. He, he talked about earnestly desiring the higher gifts. That's the, the same word that he uses here in this verse. And so there's a, there's a sense in which an earnest desire can be a good thing if it is for a good thing and if we desire it for the right reasons. In fact, we can actually be commanded to do this. But when this word is used negatively, as it clearly is here, it almost always refers to a, a strong displeasure, a strong uh, sort of uh, bitterness regarding the good of another person. In fact, it not only regards the good of the other person, but it actually begins to focus on the person themselves. We begin to disdain the person themselves because they have a good that we envy. And so it is a displeasure with their blessing. It is a displeasure with their good. It is, it is being upset because they are enjoying some sort of prosperity, some sort of, of blessing, and then beginning to disdain them or, or, or hold them in disregard because they have it. It's important for us to realize that, that this is something that could be directed really uh, in any one of uh, the directions. It could be directed to those who have things we do not, those who we regard as above us. We can be envious of our superiors. We can be envious of our, of our peers. We can just simply think, well, they shouldn't have as much as me because I'm better than them, or they're, they're no better than me. Why do they have more? It can even be re- directed towards those who, who have less than us. We can be envious of them because they, they shouldn't have as much. They shouldn't be so close. I should be, I should be clearly superior. And so envy can be directed really in any direction, but it, it is simply a, a, a hatred, a, a, a dissatisfaction, a displeasure with the good that another person is enjoying. When you begin to think about what envy is, you begin to to realize that it is the very opposite of of what Scripture says love does. Love says that love rejoices with those who rejoice and weeps with those who weep. But envy does just the opposite. Envy becomes upset, it becomes bitter, it becomes resentful when others rejoice. And it draws a, a cold satisfaction when they suffer. And we see this as we begin to look at examples of envy throughout the Scriptures. Maybe the two most famous examples, or the two that came least, most readily to my mind, were the example of Joseph's brothers selling him into slavery, and then of King Saul seeking to kill David. 
First, we we have the story of Joseph's brothers. We're told in Acts chapter 7, as Stephen is preaching before the Sanhedrin, that it was because of jealousy. Same word, actually, that, that Paul uses here. It was because of envy that the patriarchs sold Joseph into slavery in Egypt. It was, it was because of envy, because of, of jealousy, that, that, they, that they first plotted to kill him, but then later sold him into slavery. We have the story in Genesis 37. Turn there with me. Keep a, keep a finger in uh, 1 Corinthians 13. We'll be coming back. But turn with me to Genesis chapter 37. In Genesis 37, beginning in the middle of verse 2, we read, Joseph, being 17 years old, was pasturing the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives, and Joseph brought a bad report to them of their father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his sons because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a robe of many colors." But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully, peacefully to him. So here is the situation. Joseph is, is hated by his brothers. Why? He's, he's hated by his brothers because his father loves him more. His father is, is um, showing favoritism towards Joseph. These, Joseph has the father's favor that the other brothers want. Now the first thing we have to see here is, is that this is a highly dysfunctional situation. This is, this is a family that is not as it should be. You know, the, and the reason, the starting point is, is because Joseph, or Jacob, Joseph's father, has four wives, which is a problem. You know, sometimes you, you will hear people say that, um, you know, that, that was polygamy in the Old Testament. You know, how can God's design for marriage be one man and one woman? But, but what we see in the Old Testament is that when people deviate from God's design, God's design of one man and one woman, that the, there are always consequences. People always begin to reap what they sow. And, and Jacob is an example. It doesn't work. It leads to... To dysfunction. And you see, Jacob has four wives, but there's one that he loves. And Joseph is the son of that wife whom he loves. Therefore, Joseph is the beloved. Joseph is the one who, who is favored by the father. But this bad situation continues to get worse because not only do the brothers hate Joseph for having the love of their father, but then Joseph starts having dreams. We see this in verse 5. He says, Now Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. You're familiar with the story. Joseph begins to have dreams about how he is going to be raised up, about how his brothers are going to have to bow to him. And not only are his brothers going to have to bow to him, but even his parents are going to have to bow to him. And when Joseph's brothers begin to hear these dreams, they hate him all the more. Now again, Joseph may not have been the most humble in the way that he communicated these dreams to his family. We don't know. The Bible doesn't give us the, the tone of voice or, or the, the, the glint in his eyes as he recounted these dreams to his family. But we do know this, that, that dreams were a way that God communicated with the patriarchs. Think of Jacob, Joseph's own father. It was at Bethel that, that God appeared to him in a dream and, and promised him that he would know the blessings of the covenant. So when Joseph has these dreams, he's, he's not just sort of daydreaming about how he's one day going to prove himself, not just daydreaming about how he's one day going to amount to something and how his brothers are going to have to acknowledge how great he really is. 
but rather he is receiving a message from God. And God is saying, this is what I have in store for you. This is what I have chosen for you. And so now, not only does Joseph have the favor of their father, but he also has the favor of God. And while we can point to Joseph's favoritism as something wrong, we know that the brother's response to that was motivated by more than a right sense of justice because when the same thing happens with God, they respond in the same way. And they certainly cannot say that God is wrong. God can choose whom He wants. He he can elevate whom He chooses. He is God. And if He chooses Joseph, that is His prerogative. Yet the brothers will not stand for it. We, We see this as the story continues. Because when they see Him coming from afar, they say, here comes that dreamer. Here comes that dreamer. We'll see what becomes of his dreams. And at first, the plan is that they're going to kill him. But of course, Reuben, by God's grace, says, you know, that might cause us more trouble than it's worth. Let's not kill him. Let's, Let's just sell him into slavery. And so when the Midianite traders came by, they said, okay, here's our here's our chance. And they sell him to the Midianite traders. The traders take him to Egypt. And of course, you know the rest of the story. But what we see is that it was envy. Joseph was blessed. He was, he was blessed maybe inappropriately by his father with this multicolored coat, and, and that's important. Because what, part of what we have to recognize is that sometimes when we are tempted to be envious, we will actually have good reason. It will be because of a real injustice. We need to recognize that. It's, it's not always, well, if I could just see things differently, I would recognize why this is okay. No, sometimes things aren't okay. Sometimes we do have to receive real injustice. And that's where Paul says to the Corinthians, why not rather be wronged? Why not rather absorb it yourself? Why demand justice? Do not be envious. Do not despise your brother because he's experiencing some good, even if he is experiencing it through unjust avenues. But not only are they envious when he has the Father's favor, they're also envious when he has God's favor. And that's what really pushes them over the edge. That's what makes them decide, okay, we we have to do something about this kid. We we have to to get rid of him. We're willing to even cause our Father to believe that he has been devoured by wild beasts in order to get him out of our lives. And so we see envy at work. Envy, just despising the person because of the blessing that they have experienced. The second example of envy is found in the story of David trying to, or Saul trying to kill David. We won't turn there, but you can look it up later in, in 1 Samuel 18. You'll, you'll know that, that 1 Samuel 17 is the story of David and Goliath. And so here we have David coming on the scene and seeing Goliath taunting the, the armies of Israel. He's like, who is this giant? Who is this uncircumcised Gentile who dares to blaspheme the name of God? Let me at him. And of course, in the power of the Holy Spirit, David, the, the boy, goes against the, against the, the giant and he, and he kills the giant. And, and his, his fame begins to spread and he becomes a, an officer in, in Saul's army. And, and when they return to Jerusalem, the, the, the people are singing songs and they're singing songs in praise of Saul. Saul has slain his thousands. But now there's a new verse added to the song. And it says, and David has slain his ten thousands. And that doesn't go over very well with the king. You know, because, because they're ascribing more honor. They're ascribing more glory. They're, they're ascribing more valor to this boy, David. 
And so Saul becomes enraged with David. He, he, he first wants to kind of keep a close eye on him, and we're told that he, he's, he's eyeing him, but, but eventually his, his rage overflows, and he tries to pin him to the wall with a spear, not once, but twice. So we see again envy at work. And, and when we read those stories, it's easier for us to say, okay, that's a bit extreme. You know, I, I've never once thought about selling my brother into slavery in Egypt. I've never once tried to pin somebody to the wall with, with the spear. You know, that, that, that's a bit extreme. But I think if we begin to examine our hearts, we'll recognize that the same envy, while, while not manifest in the same ways, nevertheless the same envy resides in our own hearts. One of the books I was looking at this week was written by a guy named Joe Rigney. And he, he asks these questions, gives, kind of gives his readers these diagnostic questions as they begin to examine their own hearts. He says, young people, if you're, you're in high school or if you are in college, how do you respond when your friends and siblings are blessed by God? When they experience some level of blessing that, that you really would like to have? Are you thankful to God for the blessing they have? Do you, do you tell them that, that you rejoice with them? Or, or are you resentful? Do you, do you feel displeasure because it wasn't you? Unmarried folks, he says, when your friends get a girlfriend or a boyfriend or, or gets engaged or gets married, are you genuinely happy for them? Are you filled with gratitude for God for the blessing that they have received? Or are you inwardly carping that you've been passed by once? Again, moms, he says, what is your reaction when someone else's child succeeds? Are you thrilled when someone else's baby learns to walk before yours or enjoys success in school or or athletics? Or are you constantly eyeing other moms like Saul-eyed David, feeling anger and displeasure when God blesses their parenting in ways he hasn't blessed yours? Men, How do you react when someone else gets the promotion at work, the promotion that you were pretty sure you deserved? If you were a general in Saul's army, he says, replaced by this shepherd kid from Bethlehem, how would you have reacted? Would you have thrown your whole weight behind him, or would you have been tempted to undermine his authority? And one of the ones that struck closest to home for me, he asks a question to pastors. He says, pastors, if, you're, if another church in your town is fruitful with the gospel, how will you respond? Will you give thanks to God that the work of the gospel is being done? Or will you grumble with envy because maybe some of the people who used to go to your church or who, who might have gone to your church are now being fed somewhere else? I think as we read through those questions, as we, we, we examine ourselves in this light, we, we begin to recognize that, that we struggle with envy more than we care to admit, or maybe even more than we know. We are envious of the, the person who makes more money than us and therefore is able to have a more comfortable life. We, we are sometimes displeased with the, the good things that other people receive because we don't feel like they deserve them. We feel bitter and angry because someone got the promotion that we thought we deserved. We are resentful when everything seems to go another person's way while our life seems to be filled with nothing but trouble. 
Maybe you're envious of another person's stuff. Maybe it's the clothes you want. Or maybe you're envious of their hair. Or maybe you're envious of their metabolism. Or maybe you're envious of their free time. Whatever it is, you are, you are envious. You are displeased with a blessing that someone else enjoys because it's not yours. And it doesn't seem right. It doesn't seem fair. That displeasure, that, that resentment at the good of another is envy. And Paul says we must seek to put it to death because it is the very opposite of Christian love. I already said, but think about it. Think about what such a mindset, think about what such a heart attitude reveals. It is the very opposite of rejoicing with those who rejoice. It is the very opposite of of loving your neighbor as yourself. It is the very opposite of putting their interests ahead of your own. Love is that sincere and earnest desire for the good of another, even a delight in their good, so, such that you begin to move and act on their behalf, that you, you begin to move and act in their best interest. You begin to do what you can with the resources at your disposal to bring blessing into their lives. Envy looks at the blessing that flows into their lives and is bitter about it because it didn't come to us. Paul says, listen, Even if it's an unjust situation, we ought to rather absorb the wrong ourselves. Paul, this is what Moses did. Moses, when he was pleading on behalf of a people who had rebelled against both him and God, he said, listen, if if someone has to be blotted out, let it be me. Let the bad come upon me. Of course, Moses could not stand in the place of the Israelites. It would take Christ to come and do that. But that was his heart attitude. Let the bad happen to me. If someone's going to have to suffer, let it be me rather than let them enjoy blessing while I endure the hardship. That is the attitude of love. And that is the attitude that we are called to have as disciples of Christ Jesus. We We are called to let his mind dwell in us. Him who who did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He did not grasp his own pleasure, his own blessing, but rather he humbled himself. He emptied himself. He, He made himself nothing. He became a servant, obedient even to the point of death on a cross. That he might secure for us a blessing we did not deserve. Paul says, have that mindset. Seek the good of others. Put their interest ahead of your own. So how can we possibly begin to do this? How how can we put off and and put to death an envious spirit? How can we put on more and more true Christian love? I think first, if we're going to put it off, we we have to see it. We, We have to find it. We have to identify it in our lives. The first step is simply examination. We have to look at ourselves in the mirror and say, where is envy in my heart? Some of us will find that it's there all the time. Others will find that it's, it's there only from, from time to time. But, but wherever you are in your struggle with envy and, and wherever it is you see it in your life, you must identify it. And then you must be willing to go to war with it. You must be willing to, to put it off. First, you must be willing to name it. You must be willing to, to call it what it is. You see, our, our human tendency is to try to justify it, to try to explain why this is okay in this situation because really they're not that good a person and really they don't deserve it and really I did deserve it more and we can go on and on. But we must be, we must be willing to name it. We must be willing to call it what it is. This is envy. 
This is an evil displeasure in the good of another. And not only must we be willing to name it, but we must be willing to rebuke it. We must be willing to confess it as sin. As something that is displeasing to God and unbecoming of His children. Unbecoming one who who has every spiritual blessing in Christ already at His disposal. And so we must rebuke our souls, we must rebuke our hearts and say, it is not right for you to feel this way. This is evil in the sight of God. And then we must correct it. We must turn it back to what it should be, which means replacing it with the proper attitude of love. You see, we can't simply rebuke, we can't simply walk away from envy. We have to replace it with something. We have to replace it with thanksgiving. And one of the ways that we can begin to overcome envy is simply by forcing ourselves to give thanks to God for the blessing that the others are enjoying. We ought to begin to actually pray for them and give thanks to God. Thank you that they can enjoy that. Thank you that you have poured that out on them. And you begin to replace it with a joy in their good. At first it will it'll feel forced. It'll feel like a discipline because that's what it is. You're, you're, you're practicing. You're, you're practicing being thankful. But you, you go before your God and say, God, I give thanks to you for that. Cause my thanksgiving to grow. Let me, let me rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep rather than feeling bitter and feeling displeased when others prosper. And so we begin to, we begin to put off this spirit of envy. But it's not enough. To simply put it off, we must begin to root it out of our lives. And that's what Paul means when he says, not only should you put it off, but you should put it to death. And so we seek to put this envious spirit to death. And I think we we do that as we cultivate our own faith. I think Psalm 37 is very instructive here. Psalm 37 tells us not to be envious. And then it gives us some very specific instructions about what to do instead. It said, do not be envious, but rather trust the Lord. Cultivate faith. Remember that the Lord is for you. Remember that the, the Lord is your shepherd. Remember that he, those who follow Him shall not want. Remember those who, who follow Him shall lie down in green pastures. Remember that, that He works for good for those who love Him. Trust the Lord. Delight yourself in Him. Think about what that means. Delight yourself in the Lord. Delight yourself in His will for your life. Acknowledge that what He calls you to is better. Better to be a servant in His house. Better to be a doorkeeper in His temple than to be a prince elsewhere. Father, this is what You have called me to. And Your will and Your plans for me are good. They are perfect. They are pleasing. Delight yourself in the Lord. And commit yourself to following His way. Saying, Father God... I trust you. I will follow you. Though though seven deaths lay between, we sometimes think, though though there are hardships in this life, I commit myself to you. It's what Jesus Himself did. He committed Himself to His Father so that He was able not to respond to to the the malicious attacks that came against Him with, with malice, but rather that He was able to seek the blessing even of those who were seeking to take His life because he committed himself to the Father, because he trusted in his goodness and his wisdom and his love. And so it's as we cultivate our faith, it's as we worship God, it's as we remember who he is and who he is for us, that we will be able to begin to put to death this envious spirit. 
And of course, as we do this, we must remember that all of this is the fruit of the Spirit. Remember, Christian love is not something we work up, but it is the the fruit of the Spirit. It is something that is brought forth in the power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. It is a supernatural blessing. And so we don't just seek to do this for God, but we seek to do this with God in the strength that He supplies, praying, asking God that He would bless us with the power to, to put this envious spirit to death, that he would enable our love to abound more and more, that he would fill our hearts to overflowing with thanksgiving, not for the blessings we've received, but that he would fill our hearts to overflowing with blessing for the thanksgiving that he has poured out on others. Remember, this is what God calls us to because he loves us. This is what he delights to do in the, in the, the lives of those who, who free him. You see, the Proverbs tell us that where there is envy, the bones rot. Envy will kill you. Paul says that envy will lead you to death in Romans. But if you can put that off, you can actually begin to know life abundant. If by his spirit you can begin to, to put these things to death, you can begin to know the satisfaction The the solid, infinite joys that come from delighting in the glory of your King and the good of your neighbor. See, God calls us to this, not, not not because He doesn't want us to know joy, but because He knows joy comes from finding joy in the joy of others. And therefore He says, do not be envious, but delight. Delight in the good of your neighbor and your delights will know no end. Delight yourself in the Lord and in His ways. Delight yourself in the Lord and His ways, and He will give you the desires of your heart. And because that is His promise, that is why we call this good news. Do you believe that? Amen. Pray with me. Father God, we do thank You. We thank You for Your call to put envy to death. Father, we thank You for the way that Your Spirit uh, exposes our hearts and reveals the sin within. Not because we enjoy being exposed. Not because we enjoy the pain of having these these things ripped out, Father. But because we know that it is when You use Your scalpel to remove these sins from our lives that You prepare us to glorify and enjoy You for all eternity. And so, Father, we ask that You would do this work that you would prepare us to, to love you and to glorify you and to delight in you for all eternity by even now going to work with your word to put to death the envious spirit. Father, teach us that he is blessed whose hope of blessing is stayed upon you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.